For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, we just want to let you know about a few things coming up before we get started. Uh, we're going to be doing new streams every Thursday and Sunday at 8.15, so tune into our YouTube channel for that. We're also going to be sending out leadership updates, just updates about what's going on around the church. You can find those on our YouTube channel on Tuesdays. And what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to be getting into Luke chapter 15, talking about the prodigal son. Why don't I just pray for us real quick? God, uh, we are excited to be spending time in your word. We thank you that you have answers to some of the scary questions and uh, some of the, the feelings that we're, we're having right now as we go through this crisis, uh, that you are our father who loves us and cares for us. We pray that you'll be with us as we spend some time in your word this evening. Amen. So I wanted to get into Luke, this story of the prodigal son because it has a lot to do with, I think with everything that's going on, uh, it really gets us questioning things like, what is God really like? There's a lot of ideas out there. There's a lot of opinions about who God is. And often our circumstances um, relate to how we think God is. If things are going well, we might think God is good. If they're not going well, we might think God is bad or God doesn't exist or we might be indifferent. But Jesus was the ultimate depiction, the ultimate um, example of who God is. And he spent his life showing us the nature and the character of God, but he also taught us more about what God is like. And sometimes we think of God and we think he's some kind of severe moralizing judger, that God is this grumpy old man in the sky who just uh, wants to kill fun and wants us to live drab and dry and boring lives. Some of us think of God and we think of him as a stuffy religious taskmaster, that uh, he just really enjoys rituals and robes and weird sacrifices. And he's not a God that we feel like we can relate to all that well. A lot of us right now might be wondering, is God indifferent to our suffering? Does he care about what's happening in our world right now? Is he even engaged? Does he even know? Does he even understand? So Jesus, as he was living his life and as he was experiencing and teaching about who God is, he taught a lot of lessons that would help us understand some of these questions. And in, at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, verse 1, he's out and he's talking with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. He's talking to a mixed crowd of people. And Luke 15, 1 through 2, it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming up near to him to listen. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he's got these super religious people from a religious background who see themselves as righteous livers. And they're wondering, what is he doing with all these sinful people? But the people that are out there living a life of immoral uh, actions are being drawn to Jesus because he's showing them and teaching them about a God who loves everyone. So the Pharisees are grumbling that Jesus is tolerating all these immoral people around him. And Jesus tells them this story of the prodigal son. 
We'll start in Luke 15, uh, verse 11. It says, Jesus said to them, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me a share of the estate that falls to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. Now, this might not relate to us in our modern context, but this is a very shameful request. What this son is asking for is totally inappropriate. According to Jewish law, which this would have been a Jewish family, and it was a story that Jesus told to a Jewish audience, it was appropriate that the younger son would get a third of the father's estate. We see that in Deuteronomy 21.17. And the oldest son would get two-thirds. But the caveat, the condition upon which he would receive this inheritance would be after the father had died. So the idea that the son is coming along and essentially saying, Dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. And I would just like my inheritance now. I want to live as though you're dead. I want to go take a third of the wealth of our entire family. I'm going to go do what I want. I'm going to take a third of our wealth and I'm going to live the way that I want to live. I'm going to leave the family behind and I'm going to seek my fortune and my life the way that I want to live it apart from all of you. So you can imagine how that would have sat. Now, obviously, in this story, the father represents God. And how would God respond to some one of his children acting in such a rebellious and uncaring way? And what we see is God's not easily offended. God works with us. God understands that we are rebellious. And he doesn't try to force us into a relationship with us. He's still generous with us, even when we are selfish and wicked and downright disrespectful to him. He doesn't force us into a relationship with us. He gives us a lot of freedom to make our own choices. Now, he has opinions about those choices, and he has very a very strong sense of justice and righteousness. He knows how we should live. He knows right from wrong. He defines what right and wrong are, but he allows us the freedom to rebel against him, usually in the hopes that we'll come to an end of ourselves. So we see in verse 13, it says, not many days later after the son asked for this, the son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in loose living. And now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went out, he lived how he wanted, he squandered his wealth. You know, maybe it was months or maybe even years where he spent his family's fortune in loose living. And clearly the younger son represents the person who rejects God, who rebels against God, who doesn't have regard for who God is, who basically says, I want to give all the good things that you've given me. I want to take those things and I want to live apart from you. And so he lived very selfishly. He went and did what was right in his own eyes. He squandered his time, his energy, his youth, and the wealth of the family. And in this unwise way of living, he was caught by surprise by a disaster. And so not being prepared for what was coming, he found himself totally destitute. Yet he was still too proud to admit his weakness. He could see that living his life the way that he was 
was not working out, that he had made a lot of mistakes, that he had wasted a lot of his resources, but he was still determined to try to figure this out and make it work on his own. So we read in verse 15, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And that would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. So this son goes out and from a Jewish perspective, because again, this was a Jewish audience, this was the worst kind of degradation. A pig was an unclean animal. You weren't even allowed to touch a pig, let alone feed a pig or own a pig or care for a pig. It was an unclean animal. And Jesus pulls us into the story by saying he was so hungry, he was so impoverished and so starving as he's taking care of these pigs. He's looking at the pig pods. I don't know what a pig pod is, but it sounds disgusting. And he's looking at it and he's saying, man, maybe I should eat this pig food. And it also says he had no one to help him. He's in a time of disaster a time that he had not anticipated. He's moved away from his relationships. He's moved away from his family. He's in a country that he doesn't know. He's not with his own people. And he's really, really hurting. And this is the result of the choices that he's made of the life that he's decided to live. And so we read in verse 17, it says, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he, go, he got up and came to his father. So we see that he reached this point of brokenness. He finally came to the point where he realized living his own way was not good. It had brought him sadness and loneliness. He thought, you know, when he was living with his father, he thought, I'm going to go out and I'm going to live the way that I want to live and I'm going to have prostitutes and I'm going to have, I'm going to party and I'm going to live life to the fullest. And in experiencing that, he broke his relationships. And he came to a point where he recognized that there was something that was more important than money. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Again, in this picture, the father represents God. What's the father going to do when this son comes back? You know, a lot of us reading this might think the father should reject him. The father should uh, cast him down and say, you've been greedy, you've been selfish, you've hurt all of us, you've squandered a third of our wealth. Maybe the father, if he was really nice, he was really kind, he was really gracious, he would let the son work as a hired man and uh, let him live. But, you know, he would be a second-class citizen within the family. Certainly, it seems that he should be punished for squandering a third of the family's income. But we read that while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. This picture of the father, you know, day in and day out, sort of searching the horizon in the hopes that his son might return. His father sees him, he feels compassion for him, and he ran and embraced his son and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on my son's feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Remember, the father is the picture that Jesus wants us to understand of who God is and how God responds to our rebellion. The father forgives the shameful behavior of his son. He embraces him. He feeds him. He clothes him. He's so happy that his son has returned. He doesn't want to give his son what his son deserves. He wants to pour out love and compassion. He does what any loving father would do. He forgives his son. Because to God, the relationship is far more important than the resources. The thing that grieved the father was not losing a third of the wealth. The thing that grieved the father was that the son didn't want to be in the family anymore. He didn't want to be a part of the lives of the people who loved him the most. Now we read in verse 25 that the older son was in the field and he came and he approached the house. He'd been out working, doing the right thing. This was the son who had done everything right. And there's a party going on and apparently he wasn't invited. And as he comes near the house, there's music and dancing and he summons one of the workers, one of the servants, and he says, what's going on here? How is this going on? And of course, the older brother represents the religious person. Remember, Jesus had this conversation and told this story because he was hanging out with sinful people and the religious people, the Pharisees, were angry that Jesus had been so kind and so nice to so many sinners and welcomed them into his presence. So he's annoyed that his immoral brother who went out and lived foolishly is back. He squandered the family's wealth and the brother thinks that he deserves more. He thinks he's a better person than his younger brother because he's done the right thing. He's convinced that somehow his father's kindness to the younger brother is a disrespect to him. And surely he's ashamed of his brother's behavior. So the servant says to to the older brother, your younger brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So the older brother became angry and he was not willing to go in. Now he is alienated and separated from his family. And it says his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered, he said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. I've always done what was right. And yet you have never given me a goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Look at what the bitterness is doing to the older brother. It's alienating him from his father. He says, this son of yours, he's completely lost sight of the fact that this is his brother, his brother who was dead to them, his brother who they thought they may never see again has come home to rejoin the family and all the older brother can see is what he didn't get. And the father says to him in verse 31, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. 
He's saying, listen, your brother took the one third and he's not getting that back. The two thirds that is left, everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brothers of yours was dead and he has begun to live and he was lost and he has been found. This is what family is supposed to be like. We said that Jesus gave them this story so that we could see what God is really like. And we see in the Father some of the most beautiful and amazing aspects to who the God of the Bible is. The God of the Bible views us as his children, and he wants us to call him Father. In John 1, 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. No matter how you've lived your life, no matter how rebellious toward God you've been, no matter how you squandered the good things that God has given you, he is your dad and he wants you to come home. You don't need to earn your way back to God. You just need to come to the end of yourself and understand that he is your loving father who's searching the horizon in the hopes that you would show up. And when he sees you from a long way off, but knows you're coming to him, he will move toward you. He will run toward you with open arms and receive you as his beloved child. We see that God wants us to give up our rebellion. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be whole. He knows that you've been out there living for all kinds of different things, that you've been looking for success, or you've been looking for love, or you've been looking for power, or you've been looking for entertainment, or whatever it is that you've tried to fill up your life with. But he is the relationship that can make you whole and finally give you peace. God wants to bring us back to his family. He wants to be engaged with you in a personal relationship. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God sees the human race, the human condition, and he sees all of us, regardless of our race, regardless of our religion, regardless of our background. He sees us as sons and daughters. And some of us have rebelled and moved far off from him, and he is waiting and searching for us to come home. We also see in this story what we are really like. We see the reality of who God is, but we see the reality of who we are as well. Maybe we're like the rebellious son and daughter who wants to live like God is dead. I know I lived my life that way for many years. I lived apart from God. I did what I wanted to do with my life. But God wants us to come to a point where we're ready to admit our need where we're out there and we are willing to accept that the things that we thought were worth living for don't really meet our needs. They don't really fill us up. We need to come to the point like the son who was starving and looking at those pods of pig food and thinking, is this really what I've come to? And make the choice to return to God in humility and find him waiting with open arms. You know, a lot of us are really scared right now and a lot of us are feeling pretty alone because a lot of us have been living our lives pretty selfishly. And when you live for self, you lose relationships. We were made to love one another, to connect with one another, to give to one another. And when we fulfill that vision of who God created us to be, we experience a wholeness and a wealth 
That wealth is being a part of a community of people and being connected with God. God won't force you into a relationship with, with him, but he will call you and he will accept you if you want him in your life. Others of us are more like the religious brother, the older brothers or sister, or the religious Pharisees. And we tend to wag our finger and judge the rebellious. And we look at people like the younger brother and we say, they're getting what they deserve and they should be alone right now and they've lived for the wrong things. But that's not how our father sees them. And that's not how he wants us to see him. He wants us to understand that the entire human race is a family. And families don't have to agree about everything. I know my family doesn't agree about everything. But the bottom line is, is that when the rubber hits the road, we need to come together. And what unites us is our common father. That when we go through times like this, it's not what separates us that matters. It's what brings us together. And what God wants for all of us is to understand that we are family. He loves us like a perfect father. Now, not everyone had a great dad. And sometimes, for some people, the image of a father is one that's filled with pain and disappointment. And when we think of God as being a father, that's not necessarily a positive image for most of us. But we do understand the concept of what a good father, a perfect father would be. And God says, that is who I want you to understand I am. I love you the way a perfect father loves a child. We may not accept everything that, that God has to say, and we may not be ready to believe everything that the Bible has to teach, but the starting point is to want and desire a relationship and to realize that the time that we're living in and the things that we're experiencing right now have the power and the ability to bring us together. So one question would be, how does all of this apply right now? What can we take away from this? Well, if you're the rebellious son, if you're the rebellious daughter, now is not the time to be prideful. Now is the time to realize your need and to realize that you can return, you can come to the arms of a loving God and your past doesn't matter what you've squandered, what you've wasted, the way that you've disrespected God, the way that you may have shaken your fist at him, doesn't matter if you're willing to come and, and to him in humility and faith and ask him into your life. Ask that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross would apply to you. Let him into your life and join the family of God. For the rest of us that are already in a relationship with God, we need to understand and embrace the idea that now is not the time to judge others. We're in a crisis. We have an amazing opportunity to demonstrate what it's like to be the children of God by welcoming others into the family of God, especially those who have been living far from God and rebellious against them. The whole world is scared right now. The whole world is questioning what matters and what are the things that are worth living for and how did I end up here right now in these circumstances? As the weeks move on, we're going to see more diagnoses. More people we know are going to be sick and we're going to start seeing more deaths. And this is a difficult and tragic and scary time. But when this is over, 
What do we want to be? How do we want to represent ourselves? As God's children, will we be shown as a truly loving people who treated even strangers like family? Will we be out there serving, practicing social distancing, being careful not to put ourselves or others in danger, but finding ways to write encouragement letters or volunteer in roles that are absolutely critical? Are we going to step out and show and demonstrate what it's like to be a loving member of God's family, even to those who don't know that they're a part of God's family? Will we we be known for doing what is best for the common good, for taking care of others? In the New York Times today, this was one of the headlines. The religious rights hostility to science is crippling our coronavirus response. And when I see headlines like this, it's very frustrating and and it, it makes me very angry for a number of reasons. One is, I am someone who would consider myself to be biblically conservative Our church is biblically conservative. We believe in the Bible, but we also believe in science. And we have shut down all of our meetings and we've gone online. We're doing Zoom groups and we're doing all these things because, not because we're afraid of the virus. The reason for shutting down our time together is not about fear. It's about love. It's what you would do for a family member in need. Our church is young. Our church has over 2,000 people under the age of 25, but they are doing the right thing because of their love for those who are at risk. And there are others out there for whatever reason and their confusion are meeting together in large numbers, but this is not what a loving community would do right now. They would be watching out for the needs of others and doing what is responsible. Right now is the time that we have to do our part to protect the most vulnerable to this disease. And the body of Christ, the family of God, should be leading the way in both protecting people by not meeting together in large groups and going out and bravely serving in appropriate ways where we can make a difference. I guess the closing thought that I want to leave you with this evening is this. Before the coronavirus broke out and before all of our worlds got turned upside down, our country was tearing itself apart politically. We were gearing up for what was likely and is still likely to be the most divisive time in our country's history. But when crisis comes to a family, they've put aside their differences And they come together because they remember what matters most. And what matters most are our commonalities, not our differences. And I think we've been given a moment, a time where we can pause and we can consider. Was the way that we were headed before the lockdowns, before the scares, before the whole world changed, was the way that we're headed, is that what we want to go back to when this is over? Or can we allow this time to be used in a way where it shows us what really matters? What really matters is God. What really matters is family. What really matters is our love for one another. What really matters is, is that we can be a community of people who disagree on some substantial things, but still have a love and respect for one another. And the way that we act right now and the things that we do right now 
will really matter when all of this clears and people look back at this and what will they say about the family of God? That's the opportunity that God wants us to be considering. What can we do now to show the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to serve and love those who are in need while, if necessary, forsaking our love of meeting together and causing a situation that could put others in harm's way. That's what we've got. Click on the link in the description to get a free book if you want. Uh, it's called Discovering God. It's a great book to help people who don't know and understand the Bible to answer some of their tough questions. Also, look for our upcoming episodes. On 331, uh, we're going to have a leader's update uh, just giving people uh, a 10-minute video about what's going on around the church. On Thursday at 8.15, we're starting a series with James Rochford on exploring evidence for Christianity. I'll be back next week at 8.15 on Sunday uh, to talk more about what it means to be the family of God. And we've got an awesome Easter uh, episode coming up um, on Easter, Easter morning with James Rochford. So be good to each other. We love you. And we'll see you next week. This study was recorded at Xenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.